You're listening to the Lenses Podcast from Shades Mountain Baptist Church, engaging the world through the lens of the gospel. For more information and resources, visit shades.org slash lenses. Um, so tonight may be just a little bit different. Uh, due to the nature of what we're talking about, um, being a topic that everybody has something to contribute to on one end of the spectrum or the other, and uh, just kind of the way that our the size of our group lends itself, we want to have a little bit of interaction. So there are going to be times throughout the talk where we ask for a little bit of feedback, and when we offer those, we would kindly suggest that you respond. Um, so I'm uh, Chad Kossaboom, associate pastor here. Um, have been in Birmingham for the past 11 and a half years. Uh, my wife, Holly, will be up here in just a little bit. She's dropping off our four awesome kids for child care. Um, and self-confession, I come from a long, long, long line of workaholics. Mm. Lacey. Okay. <laughs> uh, my name's Lacey Amos, and I believe I was brought in on this topic because I'm a professional mental health counselor. So I sit and help people all day, every day, try to rest more <laughs> and work on their stress level. So um, I'll kind of be coming from that lens. But my husband Blake is here. We have a five-year-old, Elizabeth. She's in kindergarten. Um, I went to Stanford, so I was here for college. Lived in Louisiana. Now we're back. Yeah, that's about it. So Lacey and I, um, we partner together on some uh, a premarital process that we do here at Shades. And so we present together in some fashion several times a year. Blake jumps in on that, uh, on that process as well. Um, uh, but tonight, this is, a, this is a topic that from a personal standpoint is one that's really close to me because it's an, a, a topic that I have to revisit often. Uh, Bradley and I work together and I uh, was kind of running through some stuff with him this morning. And I said, I feel kind of like a hypocrite talking about this topic right now. And he said, that's because you are. <laughs> um, so uh, know that what we're talking through tonight, um, we realize is... Uh, the idea of work and rest being meant to coexist in our life, that God has created us for both, um, is something that we all at some point in time feel attention in one way or the other of the other with. Um, Lacey, uh, one of her passions in her ministry and in her counseling practice is talking through the issue of boundaries, and that comes into big interplay with what we're going to be talking about tonight. So I want to start off with a little visual image for us. Um, are you guys familiar with th- this guy? Yeah. So in um, 1989, the Energizer Bunny um, was introduced as a marketing icon for the battery company. Um, And when they introduced this uh, pink fuzzy guy with his beating drum, um, they said that he keeps going and going and going. And uh, 30 years later, that little bunny is still somehow going. It was real interesting to look up video clips today and see what the first uh, commercial release in 89 was compared to what they've done uh, with this guy now. Um, But I would say that um, uh, at one point in time, the Energizer Bunny was named as um, one of the best branding icons of that year um, because it was easily identifiable and it has uh, carried on what the, the battery itself is intended to do. They're supposed to last a long time. Um, but I would also say in some ways that this icon has become emblematic for us in the way that we operate in specifically the United States. Um, we feel like we are wired to be the Energizer Bunny <laughs> and that if we do not keep going and going and going, that there's something wrong with us. There's faulty wiring, bad battery got put in, bad connector somewhere along the way, um, that we should just keep going and going and going. And um, and I think that part of that has to do with this, the, the way that it has shaped that perspective has shaped our society to be very driven and focused and accomplishment oriented. And I would say that we can't generalize that and say all of North America lives in that space. That's not necessarily true, but I can say that in our context, um, in our culture specifically where we live uh, here in uh, kind of over the mountain Birmingham, suburban Birmingham, that the idea of being uh, accomplished and driven and motivated and busyness Uh, All of those things are things that we can tend to prize and we can lift up pretty high. Um, So I can really kind of connect with this, with this idea of feeling like I need to just keep going and going and going and going. Um, And so I I just want to ask you kind of on the top end, if you can connect with this, or if you have a friend maybe that can connect with this, um, what you think some motives would be for us personally? And I've listed a little bit uh, starting off, but what would you say some motives are for us that kind of push us into this driven, accomplish-oriented, never-ending kind of leaning toward work and busyness? 
I warned you at the top about this. I think keeping up the, the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up. Keeping up with the yes. blank. Yeah. Um, regardless of what your occupation is. Mm-hmm. Um, so competition yeah. even, yeah. And, and keeping up the appearance of mm-hmm. being perfect or the perfect job or the perfect, you know, just the mm-hmm. appearance of that is really a problem in yeah. That's good. So keeping up with the Joneses, that's a great, great way to put it. Understandable phrase. What else drives us like this? Yes. So pressure maybe that others even put on us um, to stay productive or to keep busy or to accomplish. That's good, Meg. What else? Mm-hmm. 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 Provision, like over-providing from maybe where you came from. That's good. What else? Yeah. There's probably a bigger picture about just needing to keep up with the society or something more to actually keep up. Hmm. That's good. That, like, that's what we were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what we were supposed mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. These are good. I think also the freedom and Hmm, that's good, Matthew. Mm-hmm. It's like escaping. That's good. Taking it deep for us, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, talk about that just a little bit more. There's more to miss out on, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Anything else? Money. Money. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, and and I want to say that on the on the front end, Bradley did a, a really great job just from he and I kind of debriefing on it, talking about God's intent for us to work, and we want to be really careful on the front end that. In no way are we advocating for any sort of laziness or apathy. Um, what we are d- trying to do is kind of lean in a direction that maybe corrects our tendency to overwork, that takes work out of that right kind of like diligent perspective that God has intended us for us to have. Bradley talked about last week how um, work wasn't something that came when sin entered the world. <laughs> it's not a bad thing that work was uh, something that God, it was one of the first things that God gave to man um, as a good thing, right? So we're not, we're in no way advocating that, sh- that, that rest should compromise work. Um, We're more kind of just saying uh, our tendency is to lean into all of those things that we just talked about, to be able to compare ourselves in a positive light uh, to others, to be able to live up to other people's expectations, to be able to provide for our kids, to be able to not miss out. We lean into those things at the expense of something. We outvalue those things at the expense of something. And what uh, what we outvalue them against is the idea of rest, is the gift of rest that God has also, has also given us. Um, so God didn't create us to be like the Energizer Bunny. Um, God created us more to be like this guy right here. Um, this calculator looks a lot like one that my dad uh, used to sit at the kitchen table with every month when he would do the bills. This is before online billing. What'd you say, May? Oh, Catherine, does he? Or does he? <laughs> um, the thing about this calculator is that, um, that it needs rest. It needs to receive light in order to actually work. So it has to intake before it can output, right? So in a lot of ways, we weren't created. God didn't create us to operate like the Energizer Bunny and just keep going and going and going. Um, he created us in a way um, that we would receive before we work, that we would rest before, uh, before we work. Um, uh, there are a couple of verses that I want to point to, and I got my slides out of order here, so I'm just going to ask you, if you have your app or your phone with you, we're going to flip to a couple things. Um, the first is uh, to Genesis 2, um, 1 uh, through 3, which are the verses that we read at the beginning of our time together tonight. Um, and we want to look specifically specifically at the way that God himself uh, created and then rested. Um, there we go. So I did get it up on the screen. 
So it says, uh, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host with them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. Um, so God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rests from all of his work that he had done in all creation. Okay. Um, what we see in here is that God has created for us a model of work and then rest. Um, there are other passages in scripture that talk about God's unending ability to keep going, that he never sleeps and he never slumbers. So even the way that we look at this verse, it's more God setting a model for us in the way that work and rest are supposed to be postured in our lives and less that God got tired and so he needed to take a break, but more this is the way that God is setting a, a picture for us to operate within, within his image. Um, when we were created uh, at, at the creation account, we see that God created us in his image. And uh, I, was, I was reading a, a book today that was talking about how whenever Moses was writing this, the idea of image is probably not the same thing that we think about when we think about image. When, when I think about, um, about my son being made in my image that he has my likeness, I think about the fact that he can look in a mirror and he can see a reflection that looks somewhat like the characteristics of his dad. Um, but whenever, um, whenever scripture, whenever Moses was writing, when he was inspired to write that we were creating God's image, he was more talking about the fashioning of an imprint, kind of like the fingerprints that are left on man, that we were created in God's image to model life and this rest work balance the same way uh, that he did. So we're going to look at work as not bad and rest not as good, right? These are not polar opposite things. They're not at odds with each other. Um, God intends for both rest and work to have proper place in our lives. And that's the reason that he modeled both work and rest the way that he did even at the beginning of scripture in creation. Um, the other thing that we see is in Genesis uh, chapter three, verse eight. And I want you to just kind of look real briefly with me at this. And this uh, we're going we're gonna to look at this as kind of a model that we see at the initial relationship between man and God in creation as a rhythm of sorts that, that um, gives a reflection of rest. It says, and they, this is right after Adam and Eve, um, they hear the serpent, uh, um, Eve sees the fruit on the tree, they choose disobedience, rebellion against God, um, and and sin enters into the world, and, and Adam and Eve, they, they hide. Um, but this is Genesis 3, and it says, uh, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Um, so the way that this, that this one verse is written, there's inference, like this is a sound that Adam and Eve had heard before. <laughs> the end of the day came. Some sunset was coming, it became a little bit cooler, and Adam and Eve, in a way that sounds kind of ritual and routine, the way that it's written, they would take a stroll with God in the garden. <laughs> and so there's this pattern even that God, um, he commissioned Adam and Eve, he commissioned man and woman to work for the good of the garden, but then even toward the end of the day, there would be space to rest and reflect and spend time, spend time with one another. Um, so that was this kind of wor uh, this routine rhythm work and then rest, rest and then work. One image that we're going to keep coming back to tonight is uh, it's what I'm, we're going to call the semicircle. And it looks like this. Um, several years ago, I was introduced to a book by a guy. Do you have that with you? Should you leave it up here? Okay. Um, I was introduced to a book by a guy named Mike Breen, and uh, it's called Building a Discipling Culture. This is a model for, uh, for small group discipleship. But what he does is he harnesses shapes as a way to help us remember spiritual disciplines and the way that we connect with God and connect with others. Um, and so he utilizes this, this, this image of a semicircle as one to help us remember work-life balance, that this is core to who we are in terms of our dependence on God. So we look at this, at this balance, and it's a pendulum of sorts. Um, if, you, if you think about the way a pendulum swings, if you drop it from one side, it's going to sweep and create a semicircle in a way that it picks up to the other side. So we start with rest, and then we move over to work, and then we bounce back to rest. If you tick too hard over on the work side, you're neglecting the aspect of rest that God's intended for us uh, to have in him. If you swing too hard on the rest side, you're neglecting the work that God has created us for. So we see this kind of like balance in between these two pieces. What we really need is a biblical framework for a rhythm of life. And we as people are hardwired to kind of go in polar directions, to swing hard one way or the other. And what God has intended for us to do is to give close attention to both the concept of work and to rest. Yeah, so this book that Chad was referring to, we kind of took some excerpts from it. We've got a handout for y'all for later. But um, I'm just going to read a little excerpt because I thought some of the things in this chapter were just so good. All right, so the true sign of godliness, imitating God, 
is to pattern our lives after him. And for God, rest is vitally important. As a matter of fact, rest from our activities is listed in God's top ten. The commandment to keep the Sabbath is right up there with don't kill, don't steal, and don't commit adultery. In other words, being a workaholic is to God just as bad as being a murderer or adulterer. Rest is not an option if we are to walk in the lifestyle of a disciple. So, as I was preparing for this, I read that and I was like, whoa, that's kind of a that's kind of a heavy statement there, Lord, really? And so, you know, I flipped to the Ten Commandments. So, if y'all would, if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, open up to um, Exodus 20, because I was really fascinated by what I found when I kind of took the lens when looking at the Ten Commandments through resting. So, I'm going to read it. We've got... We've got it up here if you don't have your Bible, but okay, starting in verse one, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents. So the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name, his name. Now, starting in verse eight, we're talking about rest. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so if you look kind of down, you know, at the rest of the commandments, they're all like one-liners, right? You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Look at 8 through 11. Like, why did the Lord feel the need to, like, hit that home? No work. Not you. Not anyone. Not your kids. Not your aunt. I mean, he, like, went on and on. This is what the Lord did. I mean, I just found that so interesting. I was like... I wonder why, you know, I'm sure the Lord had a reason. Maybe people struggled with this back then the way we struggle with it now. Or maybe he knew a time would come when people would just be like crazy workaholics and he would need to like really have this. But anyway, so, you know, like Chad said, our society is at least over here in Western culture. We are like, go, go, go work, work, work. And it's really kind of idolized. And I feel like it can be, you know, like it says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship anything else. And we do worship work. I feel like we do kind of fall into that sometimes. Um, And like Jacob said, like it's reinforced. Like you work more, you get more. You can have it all. You can do it all. You can be it all. Like all those things are legit out there and completely reinforced for us. So you have to literally, you know, not murdering and not committing adultery. Those aren't cool for anybody, (laughs) but not resting is cool for a lot of people. And that's just really like really reinforced. So maybe that's why, you know, he had to explain this so much because in our culture, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, so anyways, again, like if we're going to really do this the way the scripture says to do it, it's going to be completely radical, like completely countercultural to anything anybody else is doing. Um, so, okay. So not only do I feel like in our culture we're not resting, but we are stressing, okay? So I started, when I think of rest, and like the need for it, and God knows what we need. And so I like preach to people constantly about cutting things out of their schedule and cutting this out and cutting that out so you can rest more and that you're not having these physical symptoms and all this kind of stuff. Um, I started researching this, and I was like, well, I know this is a problem, but like how bad is this really a problem? Well, it's really, it's kind of scary. So I started just looking up some statistics. We've got some graphics up here that are kind of funny. 
looking. But um, so there's this website called stress.org, and they had compiled like this list of statistics from all these various sources and sites. And I think at the end here, like it's got all the little sources. But anyway, I'm just going to read y'all some of these because they kind of really startled me. Um, stress is the basic cause of 60% of all human illness. Three out of every four doctor's visits. Now I'm assuming this is adult. I'm not sure about pediatric, probably just adult. I don't know. But three out of four doctor's visits are for stress-related ailments. That's in the U.S. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity. The U.S. does not legally require workers to take time off, so you could work every single day, 12 hours a day, 18 hours a day. Nobody's going to tell you to stop. Um, in Spain and England, workers are required to take 30 days of vacation. The average U.S. worker takes off 10 work days and eight national holidays. In France, the average worker takes seven weeks off work. <laughs> So again, U.S., like, nope, not going to reinforce this. We have to do it. Like, we have to take responsibility for making sure we're getting adequate rest. Um, and kind of going back to, like, when in, in the scripture it says, um, what does it say exactly? I want to quote it right. On it you shall not do any work. Okay. So... I don't know about y'all, but like I brought my daughter to a birthday party on Saturday the other day and it was at this like trampoline place, kids everywhere. I'm sweating. It's hot. People are, you know, about to break an arm. I don't know all this stuff. That was not restful for me. Now, Saturday is one of my days off, right? So if I have a few hours doing that where I'm tight and wound up, that's not resting. Um, you know, church, Worship care, not restful for me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that anymore because Elizabeth aged out. Woo-hoo. But, you know, we, sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. I, people what love, I hear you saying is I'm fully supportive of it. Some people love worship care. I said me. Yep. Like, okay. it stresses me Just out. so we're all on the same page. <laughs> She's supportive. <laughs> she just is glad she graduated. Yes, yeah. no, see, again, me, me, me. And I'm going to get to this later, like the importance of knowing how you rest. Yeah. But anyway, so, you know, if I come to church and I'm working, we do the premarital thing in the afternoon sometimes. And so, and then getting Elizabeth to church can be crazy and it's not restful. And so, you know, there's my two off days. When have I really rested a full day? Like, what does that even look like? So how vigilant do you have to be to truly get a day, a whole day? I mean, that may be, you know, seasons of life, phases of life, it may be easier for some. We're in the season with small kids, so it's, like, really kind of hard. But um, anyway, I just kind of wanted to throw that out there because I don't think many of us rest a full day a week, like a full day. Don't work a full day. Um, okay. <laughs> 13 years left to go. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to kick it back to you because we've already gone 30 minutes. Okay. Um, I think we're okay on time. Yeah, we're good. Uh, I want to flip over to John 15. We don't have this on a slide. So as we kind of jump back to this idea of a pendulum swinging back and forth, this this kind of idea of moving between rest and work, work and rest. Um, let's read John 15 together. Um, and we're going to read... Uh, verses 1 through 5. Would anybody be willing to read that out loud for us? This is John 15, 1 through 5. Robbie, thanks. The idea of this passage is is uh, abiding in Christ in a way that is restful dependence upon him. And you see in this passage kind of this, this concept of the pendulum swinging here. Abiding in Christ produces what? 
fruitfulness. <laughs> and then we don't just stop at fruitfulness. We re- swing back in the passage to abiding in Christ, resting in him, that then by way produces fruitfulness. Um, I read a book back in the fall by a guy named Zach Eastwine, um, and he talks about how we often uh, we, we live life acting like we should uh, be able to do all, uh, all things for all people, be all places at all times, and know all things for all people. Um, and whenever we operate in that mode, that kind of like pushing forward for whatever reason, the ones that we kind of listed at the beginning of our time together, we're in some ways pushing away from the very character and nature of God and pushing away from the way that God has created us to live in dependence on him. Okay, so there is a part of us that when we persist and push into work for all the reasons that we listed, if we're idolizing it, if we're pushing towards self-accomplishment or image or comparison, we are, are, are leaning in a direction that God did not create us because we're not like him in that way. We can't just keep going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. We must have a source that we rest and abide in. And God has created us for that source to rest and abide in to be uh, the person of Jesus. We're made to be dependent on him, not independent, self-sufficient people that can always go and operate on our own. Um, one of the, a book by a guy named C.J. Mahaney, uh, it's a small, short book called Humility. And he talks about one of the best ways that we can exercise humility is through the practice of rest. By resting, we recognize that we are not God and that we must sleep. So if you take the converse reality of that, when we don't rest and we don't push, we're saying that we are like God, that we don't need rest, that we don't need sleep. When in reality, all the scriptures tell us is that this body is a tent. It's not going to last. Can't keep going on forever and ever. It's going to waste away. Not until we receive our earthly home in eternity with Christ um, do, we, do we have a place that is sure that does not pass right? So everything about, about our reality for us as humans, we have to rest. And we experience that physically when we don't. The John 15 passage, it kind of, it, it takes the work rest pendulum and it kind of gives a little bit more explanation uh, to it for us. We have this abiding um, in Christ, resting in him that then leads to fruitfulness, that then swings back to pruning so that we will grow even more in the way that we bear fruit and are resting in Christ. God has created us physically to need rest, but he's created us as a whole person to to need to rest and abide in him. So this growth is the result of abiding. Growth for us, um, even even think about the way that our bodies physically, Catherine would probably be able to speak to this better than I can, but the way that our bodies are physically wired, um, your brain is is geared to, to synthesize the things of your day when you sleep at night. Um, during the time that you achieve that deep, that deep REM sleep where you sleep at your deepest. So when you wake up in the morning, that's why some things make more sense than they did before you went to bed. Like something that you're real kind of like blown up and uh, really emotional and kind of exaggerated about before you go to bed. When you wake up, you're like, what even was that? That's because God has wired your body to need sleep so that things make sense in life. (laughs) You know what I mean? So he's wired us physically to need rest, but he's wired us spiritually that we can't sustain achievement on our own, that we have to abide in him in order for true productivity and fruitfulness uh, to be the result of a, to be the result of our lives. This is Um, my picture of a vineyard (laughs) mental reference. Okay. So another excerpt from this book that I wanted to read y'all. We are supposed to pattern our lives after that of Jesus. It's not our energy and determination that impresses God. It is our living in the manner he made us that will produce the fruit he intends for us to bear. Pruning is not automatic for the branch. Left to its own plans, it would continue to grow, increasing in size, but decreasing in strength, endurance, and health until it would be able to un- until it would be unable to hold the fruit it is intended to bear. And I thought that was kind of like a picture of us. Like we want to just keep growing and growing and growing and doing and obtaining and acquiring and going but yet we decrease in strength we decrease in health when we're not doing the resting the abiding the pruning away um so can I talk about that yeah. a second I meant to have a graph for this sure. um I was uh, uh 
I was talking with a, a buddy of mine one day, and he was talking about the push through that we feel in productivity. Like, so if I feel like I've got so much to get done that I end up working a 60-hour work week or 70-hour work week, that I actually am decreasing productivity in the amount of work that I am pushing through. By lacking to rest, my actual output of quality work hours is reduced. So while I may be putting in 70 hours in my office pushing on a keyboard, I'm likely only actually accomplishing like 38 hours worth of work because our mental capacity and ability and stamina to push through both mentally and physically is decreased the longer we push, the longer we push through, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, okay, so I wanted y'all to, you know, when we like, how do we do this? So we look at Jesus, right? So if y'all have your Bibles again, um, turn to Mark 6. I love this so much. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, but, um, okay, where am I? Oh, here it is. Okay, so actually starting in verse 30, Mark six thirty, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And I hate when I hear that people are too busy to eat. I hate that. But look at this. This is like right here. Like they, it's so important. It's right here in scripture. They didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus is like, come on, let's go away. However, so well, I'm going to keep reading a little bit. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them, saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead. I mean, this is Jesus, right? They want to be with them. And um, they, let's see, along the shore, they got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things, and then he goes on to feed the 5,000. And so, you know, these people took priority. Jesus was like, let's go, let's rest. That's important. We got to do that. Well, this was obviously more important, right? But then jump down to um, 45. And in the New Living Translation, it says, immediately after this, this is after he fed everybody, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat, (laughs) head across the lake, While he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. I don't know about y'all, but I would love to see Jesus insist on something. Like, what would that even look like? Amazing, right? Um, And incidentally, this is right after John the Baptist died. And so, you know, John the Baptist was beheaded and his head was like served on a platter to Herod's daughter or something crazy. Trauma, traumatic. Jesus was grieving. Like he had heard about this and this was right after that. And I'm sure he was like in this intense, like shocked. Well, it's hard to imagine him when he knew. Anyway, so anyway, he was probably, he was very grief stricken. We know he felt the things we feel. So he needed to be alone. He needed to rest. And I wanted to talk about this because I don't know if some of y'all heard Lisa Davis's talk on grief. If you were there, if you weren't there, I would definitely recommend you listen to it. It's so good. Um, But she talked about when her youngest son got diagnosed with his illness and his condition. And um, she, she said that she did not allow herself time to grieve that, that loss um, he ended up living till he was 12, but this was when he was little. And so um, she said she just like got in this mode, like we're going to do this. We're going to make this work. This is going to be fine. And she said after a couple years, she hit a wall. She realized she never le- allowed herself time to grieve. And, you know, she, if we don't slow down, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit if we have time about this later, like seasons and like special times when we need even more abiding, when we need even more resting in times like grief and loss and major transitions and major changes going on. Those are the times when the Lord can like really grow us, like really prune us back and teach us things and prepare us to go forth and bear fruit and help other people. But if we have not taken the time to heal in him and like grow in him through those horrible times, we wouldn't be able to do that on our own. We wouldn't be able to go forth and like just keep growing and growing and going. And Lisa talked about so eloquently when she said she just like hit that wall and she had to grieve. She had to take some time to process the fact that her son like 
the expectation she had, the dream she had, the hope she had. And it's interesting because he was still alive and she talks about the need to grieve. You think about grieving as like death. Well, we, we can grieve things ambiguously. Like there are other kinds of losses out there. Um, and that's just grief. Like that's just one thing that we might need to spend some time with in the Lord. There are lots of other seasonal things that go on too, but, um, Okay, so another important thing to think about is understanding how you rest and recognizing whether you're introverted or extroverted is a really key step in this process because introverts and extroverts rest and rejuvenate in completely different ways. And so there's a spectrum here. You know, you don't have to be like completely introverted or completely extroverted, but you do need to know like how do you recharge your batteries because that's going to look different for everybody. Um, extroverts prefer to direct and receive energy from the external world around them, from people and activity. And introverts, on the other hand, prefer to direct and receive energy from the internal world of thought, reflection, and ideas. So they might need to be more alone. So like Blake, he's introverted, and he can sit at a computer and research something like for hours, and he would be like so excited about it. If I sat in front of a computer for hours, I would be so agitated. I would have to like go speak to someone immediately because I get energy from people around me. So me resting is going out to dinner or like hanging out with him or talking on the phone or something like that. So I think that's really important too, to kind of know specifically how you rest. You guys self-identify. Do you know if you're introverted or extroverted? Yeah. How many extroverts do we have? Hands? Introverts? Omniverts? (laughs) That's the borderline in between. (laughs) It definitely does. You have to think about that for sure. Same way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I came up with this list, and we're again, we're going to give you guys a copy of this um, with the handout, but kind of like, what does this look like from a practical standpoint? How do we rest more? Like, okay, we realize we're stressed out, we need to rest more. Like, what do we do? What are some examples? So um, we break it down into daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly, and then seasonal, and I'm just going to kind of go through this because I want to leave some time for us to kind of discuss and for y'all to ask questions. But anyway, so daily, it's super important to have dedicated private alone time with the Lord every single day. And then also each day should have structure that enables rest and work, relationships and recreation. And then also we need to remember to prioritize our life circumstances. So if you have a newborn or if you're going through some major transition, that has to become the priority. And we have to be okay with that. We have to understand kind of where we are in life. That's important too. So let's, just as we kind of check through these, I want to kind of compare these back with the model that Jesus has set for us in scripture too, okay? When you look at these dedicated times of prayer with the Father, there are many, many, many times throughout the New Testament, your handout is going to have some of these marked on here, where it says Jesus got up in the, early in the morning and what did he do? He went and prayed. He spent time with the Lord. Um, we see before Jesus did any really intensive, uh, intense times of ministry or when he's, before he's going to be around people a lot, what did he do before he did? He didn't go out. He what? He withdrew <laughs> and spent time with the Father. So we see Jesus' own intentionality and dependence upon the Father just in his daily routine of, of life. Um, this isn't just kind of like you need to get up and do your quiet time so you can check the box. This goes back to the way that God has, has created us to be dependent creatures that are dependent on him and that Jesus, as we're following him, he modeled this for us. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, I recommend that we keep our regular daily routines at a manageable pace. And I think it's really important to kind of look at what that means. Are we really doing that or are we allocating like every single hour of every single day? Because if we are, we don't have any buffer space to kind of for things that come up, ways that we can help people, things that we can do. Um, Opportunities that could arise for us to kind of do some things that the Lord may want us to do. And then, of course, get as as many hours of sleep as your body requires. And that's a lot more than you think. Um, Okay, so then moving on to weekly. The seven days of the week give the next level to work out our rhythm. This will involve at least one full day for rest and others for work. And we talked about that. How do you get your full day? Now, that may look differently. Some people work 12-hour shifts, you know, a nurse or something. They're going to work three or four 12-hour shifts. So, you know, their resting or their full day or or maybe their quiet time or they may not have as much time as somebody who works like a a regular 9 to 5. But still, you know, the same rules kind of apply. You don't want to neglect these things. Um, It just You just may have to get kind of creative about it. 
And then our weekly routines need built-in space for special family members, church, and neighbors God calls us to love as ourselves. So, I mean, if you look at that, it's like your week's done. And I mean, this is really, it's so important to sit down and say, what have I committed to? What am I even doing in a whole week? And why am I doing it? And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute after I get through this. But, um, okay. Can we, do, can we talk about like how we rest? in this just real briefly. Yeah, sure. So the, um, when you think about resting for a day, um, to move it from ethereal to like an actual Saturday or an actual Friday, um, when, when Lacey advocates for rest and scripture advocates to take times of extended concentrated rest each week, um, in your mind, you could think that means that I cease from doing anything and I'm just sitting at home and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm vegging out watching TV or I'm reading a book when those things may actually not even be restful. Honestly, even times where we're trying to numb ourselves, which is a lot of times what we're doing, we're engaging in media, is the opposite of rest. It's avoidance. (laughs) We're actively avoiding something instead of intentionally engaging in rest. Okay. And so um, there are things that I do on days when I am resting that are actually their manual labor. <laughs> okay. So it is really restful for me to work in the yard. Jacob and I have talked about this. So on Friday, it's different for me. It's a different kind of work. I get to see, I have an actual beginning and an actual end. I get to see my progress. I feel sore at the end of the day. Like there's this good rest that comes along with that for me that is totally different than outside of my vocational position. Okay, that's not anything that I do on a normal basis. So it's outside of my regular routine. It does require some sort of manual exertion, but it is a restful activity. I feel recharged at the end of the day. I abide in the Lord as I'm, as I'm mowing the lawn. So when we talk about active rest, it doesn't necessarily mean just ceasing from doing anything, but really pursuing uh, ways that you're abiding and resting in the Lord and at the same time giving your space, even mental and physical space to recharge. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that anymore? Well, I was just going to say if doing the yard work stresses you out, if you have bad allergies and it's horrible, you know, that may not be restful yeah, for yeah, some, you know, so yeah. really you do have to know yeah. what it looks like for you. Like, and the, you know, love language might be a, a big thing. I didn't even think about that for this, but like my love language is quality time. So literally hanging out with Blake all weekend, I, that is the most restful thing I could do because I'm a quality time person. Now an acts of service person may, you know, do the yard or want to clean the baseboards or I don't know. Um, you but always go to clean in the baseboard. <laughs> it's like the worst chore. It's horrible. That's how Holly and I are. Like when we, when we have a Friday to rest in my mind, I've got this list of stuff that we need to get accomplished. So let's just be together and knock it out. Her resting is undivided time with one another. That's quality. Where we're actually investing in int- intentional conversation with another. That is, mm-hmm. that's restful. But now we're getting into marital stuff. So you <laughs> come to our premarital thing. Right. If you want to learn about that. Uh, monthly. Um, yeah. So monthly, these longer periods give another level to develop variety and contrast, the semicircle in action. Again, a conscious effort is necessary to plan and establish biblical patterns of work and rest so that a dull routine does not take over. Regular times of celebration and retreat should be scheduled so that they're not forgotten. Consider one full day of of a rejuvenating activity per month. So like a special kind of different activity, go mountain biking or hiking, you know, something that really rejuvenates you. Um, Planning a special date or something with your spouse if you're married or with a friend. If you have small children, you can consider, you know, soliciting a sitter, utilizing family, kind of using a date night. We, you know, we have date nights here. There's date night, parents night outs all over the city. Or if that's not an option, you know, you can tag team and like each parent kind of takes a day of the month and takes a couple hours and goes and does something for themselves. Um, You want to add anything to monthly? Okay. Yearly. So each person each year take an extended time of personal retreat, focusing on resting, reflection and abiding. You know, we saw Jesus do this um, with the 40 days in the wilderness, but um, you know, really important just to kind of like, whether it be with friends, whether it be by yourself or whether it be with family, something that you do that you can just kind of like spend some time focusing, resting, rejuvenating, getting out of your routine, doing something different um, once per year. Is good. When Holly and I were in college, we had a, a professor and a mentor that he told us that he and his wife would get away for three or four days a year um, and and individually 
he would go on retreat and then she would go on retreat. And I, I remember thinking in my mind, like, why would you do that? And what would be the, the kind of point behind that? In some ways, it even seemed to seem kind of like extravagant. <laughs> you know, like you're just kind of abandoning your family for a few days uh, to go out there. Um, but really, the better, the better we are when we're able to spend some dedicated, it's like adult camp. <laughs> you go and you spend individual dedicated time with the Lord so that you're able to come back and continue to pour in and invest in your family. Um, it's a practice that Holly and I developed uh, a couple years ago, and it's an every other year type thing for us. But our family greatly benefits from us having some space to process and pray for our family uninterrupted and sleep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, so then seasonally, this is just, you know, we've covered the whole year, but seasons kind of look a little different. You don't know exactly like how long they may last. Um, but these are phases of a year that enable us to rest for a longer time. So like, for instance, if you're grieving or if you've gone through something really, really hard or some like big transition, like allowing yourself to kind of strip away the hustle and the bustle and maybe saying no to more things than you normally would because you need that extra time of resting. So seasons are built into God's creation. We need to build similar seasons into our lives. So some examples include adolescence, adulthood, singleness, marriage, parenthood, emptiness, you know, just different seasons that we have that we may be focusing on different things. Working at a new career, for instance, may require more of your time than a job you have been doing for a number of years, and that's okay, just kind of being aware of that. In each of these seasons, you must find time to abide and to work. And I just add that increasing your awareness of what season you might be in, um, if it's a significant event, for example, um, you know, this heightens our sensitivity to the need for the Lord during these times. And there's just a lot to learn, like specifically you could be going through a season where the Lord is like pruning for a reason. And if you're not heightening in on him and what he's doing and and just allowing him to speak with you, to be with you, his spirit to rest on you, if you don't seize those opportunities by slowing down, we'll miss it. We may miss it. We'll just keep going and we'll keep growing, but we won't be getting stronger and healthier. Um, Okay, so just the last tip that I have for this, and then we'll take questions. I want you all to turn to um, 2 Corinthians 9 for me. And this comes from a book Chad mentioned earlier that I love to talk about boundaries. Yes, I do. But there is a book called Boundaries um, by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's really, really amazing. It, um, It talks about the importance of being able to say no to things and a lot of the stuff that we talked about today, like allowing yourself the freedom to free yourself up and like things like guilt and just different things that we might need to kind of work through. And it's, it's biblically based. It's wonderful. So I think we're going to put that on our resource list, but anyway. Okay. So second Corinthians nine, actually, if you look and this is a section starting in verse six about encouraging generosity kind of weird. It's like, how do you be generous by learning to say no? (laughs) But anyway, okay, so verse six, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now this is the verse, seven. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so we're talking about scheduling kind of and resting, finding time for resting and stuff. So this is kind of a how-to, you know, right here. How do we do that? How do we get more time for resting if we struggle with that? So what we do is, one, we decide what we're going to give our time to, which actually requires thinking about it. <laughs> like how many times in, in our society, especially, someone texts us and we're like, oh, sure. Like immediately we just like respond, yes. And like, have we thought about it? No. Um, but, you know, we decide what we're going to give our time to. We decide what we're going give, gonna to give our attention to. Not reluct- reluctantly or under compulsion. So if we nix all the things we were doing because we felt like we had to or were like guilted into for some whatever reason, how much time might that free up? So that's, that's an interesting to me. Um, for God loves a cheerful giver, right? So in my mind, if we sit and think about it before we decide to give it and we're not giving it for the wrong motives, we'll be cheerful when we're giving our time. 
and we give our time to those things. I want to take a step back for just a second, and and just before we get into questions and answers, um, remember that we're specifically talking about investing in the idea of rest, that we are in no way advocating against hard work. (laughs) Um, Bradley's lesson last week, Danny's sermon, even on Sunday, make really clear kind of the place and the importance of work and what God has intended us for and the way that he's placed it in our lives. But we're counterbalancing that today with the concept of rest, that God has intended for us to be dependent on him and the way that we rest and recharge. But even Bradley last week said, we're created to work not for, for work. Yes, yeah. And I love that because it's like, okay, work has its place. Like we're created to work, but we're not created for that. That, in, that to me is like all encompassing. Like mm. you're only created for work. Well, no, you know, we're created for a lot of different reasons, but mm. I love that he said that. Okay. Any thoughts, any pushback or questions? Why do you, you want people have? to push back on us? Cause I like it. <laughs> just I like it. Opens up the door for. Are we going to go through the questions or just? We'll just see. Do you guys have questions, thoughts, comments? He did. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 I was my my D group met this morning. Something that we were talking about is the difference between um, the way that our father, the way that he convicts us, but he doesn't condemn us. And there's a difference in that voice. You know, um, giving out of compulsion or guilt is condemnation. Giving out of conviction is obedience. And there's joy in that. Um, and so there's this walking with the spirit that leads us through those seasons, you know, and it's hard to discern that at times, but, um, James tells us that when we need wisdom that we ask for it and he's faithful to give it to us. Um, first Peter tells us that our God is not a God of confusion, but of clarity and of sound mind. And, you know, so we get to rest in truth, even as we're trying to figure out what to say yes to, what to say no to. Um, and even our motive behind this perpetual yesing and working, we have to ask ourselves that question. Like, are we trying to achieve something for us that God has already given to us through the person of Jesus? Or are we trying to be obedient in the way that we steward our lives in following Christ? You know, it's this constant like awareness and self-assessment that we're not just trying to psychoanalyze ourselves. We're trying to follow Christ obediently. And I think that busyness in some ways it is is what pushes us against that. When we go, 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 one of the main things we lose is space for self-reflection. Even our, don't get me started on phones. (laughs) Our phones do that to us. Times where uh, a podcast I listened to said, um, times where we used to sit at a stoplight or stop at a crosswalk and have space for contemplation, we automatically pull out that phone and we're on our mail, our text, our Twitter, or whatever. And so we're automatically moving to the next thing where we're not thinking about the conversation we just previously had. We're asking the Lord, do we need to say yes to what is next? Is that in line with what you're saying, Catherine? Yeah, okay. Neil, you going to say something? Mm-hmm. We've got to set a priority from number one there, and it's trust. Mm-hmm. So we skip down to number 17, 18, and 19. Yeah. And we do them. Yeah. And we work. Yeah. Because we all want to prove number one. Yeah. But number one's still out there. Yeah. And, and so this idea of working 70 and 80 hours, but really only having 20 or 30. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I could go off on a whole, I totally agree with you. And it's, it's something that I talk even with our staff team here about the folks that I work with a good bit. We work really hard so that we can rest really hard. <laughs> we work hard to honor the Lord so that we can rest really hard and honor the Lord in the way that we, that we cease from working and rest. Um, I agree with that. We often do the hardest thing last instead of first. <laughs> that would change the way that our whole approach to work lasts. Um, I agree with you, Jacob. This is hard because I have, for me, I uh, so this, some of this is personality bent. Um, structure brings me freedom. When I have structure, I'm able to actually rest. So a good, you've seen my calendar. <laughs> a good bit of my day is like just automatically planned out. And so it just is automatically telling me what I'm working on and what's coming next. And that, um, I think, what I would say uh, robs us of rest is chaos. And that may be personality oriented. I'm not really sure. But when I sit down, I know what I'm focusing on. I know what comes next, what the next thing, the next even hardest thing is to do. And I'm focusing in on that. So when I'm done with it, I know the thing that comes after that. And when I have a meeting, I'm coming back from that and I'm diving back into the next thing. And chaos, we spend a lot of auxiliary energy trying to regroup and figure out what we're supposed to do when it's wasted time that then robs us from rest and actually creates more stress. So I would say just first reflex, my first thing would be chaos. If you can pull chaos out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first thought is the pace in which we live our lives. I mean, just everything being so fast. Like, if you really look at what you're expecting of yourself, are you really, is that reasonable? And with technology and, and things the way they are now, are we just doing it because everyone else is doing it? So, I mean, pace and just no space to, like, breathe I think is a big deal. Um, and then the other thing is kind of looking at um, taking on like responsibility for other people and kind of what we're, we're doing and what we're agreeing to and why um, is a big thing that I see, like trying to please everyone. And that just creates so much stress for people because we're not to do that. We're not to, we're not responsible for people. Like, it gets so toxic and so unhealthy a lot of times when we try to take that on. We're responsible to them, like that 2-4 thing again, like Bradley talked about. We're responsible to people to a degree, but like we cannot be everything to everyone and try to meet all these needs because someone might get upset or because we don't want to feel, you know, like they don't, like they're upset with us or if that makes sense. My last one would be, and this is just, I'm speaking kind of generationally, I think the role that we let our phone play in our lives is a really big issue. Um, I think that, I'm not saying we need to get rid of our phones, that that would give us rest. Um, but I think that what we, when we turn to default uh, to disengage, that's really what we're doing when we pull our phone out. We're, we're turning to disengage. We are robbing ourselves of the people that are in front of us and the space for, the, for God to allow us to reflect and recharge and connect with him instead of disconnecting through some other medium. Um, I was sitting at lunch today with, we had a, like administrative professionals lunch today. So a good bit of our staff is sitting at a table. And um, this morning I made some changes to my phone. So I'm things were just operating differently for this direct intent. And I went to pull my phone out. And what was I going to do? Conversation lulled. So what do you do? Pull out your phone so you can disconnect and look down. And you're not connecting. You're not recharging. You're not engaging in life-giving activity. And re- remember that I couldn't look at what I, w- I couldn't look at my email on my phone. And so my face went back up and we kept on going in conversation. And so just like really, really seeing kind of what role that plays in your life. And Holly will tell you, I've gone through seasons where, um, it's like a, it's like a beeper, <laughs> you know, it's like you, you feel those phantom vibrating tinges in your pocket where you feel like you're missing out on something, you know what I mean? Instead of like, 
yeah, if you pull that out, you're actually missing out on what God has placed in front of you to be present in and responsible for. And that moment that you have the opportunity to steward and follow Christ in, you're instead pulling out to disengage in something that is who knows how far away. So I would just say not to not to get rid of technology or get rid of your phone, but really strive to put it in its proper place. There are things that sound drastic and dramatic that actually are not. They're good stewardship. You don't have to be available to all people at all times. There's going to be some way they're going to track you down if you don't answer an email. Oh, I bet. Walking, yeah. Yeah. Sir, you were going to. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Work with a bunch of millennials and see how that shakes <laughs> down. <laughs> Bradley's the one that keeps me in check. That's not a <laughs> But the discipline, that's a good point. It takes a lot of discipline. And that like God honoring the, the way that he has designed things. I mean, I think that even when you look at that Chick-fil-A example, you're right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It will. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.